Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg in for Mina Kim. A mysterious illness is plaguing potentially millions of people around the world who have caught COVID-19. These long haulers don't recover completely after a bout with the virus. Instead, they're plagued by strange symptoms weeks and months later. Some can't smell, some are too tired to go to work, others can't think straight. We'll dig into what we know and what helps people suffering from long COVID. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in for Mina Kim. Researchers from all over the world are working hard to figure out why some people suffer from a slew of persistent symptoms long after they get COVID. Long COVID can include lots of stuff, fatigue, coughing, nerve pain, and really hundreds of other ailments that just won't go away. In this hour, we'll get the latest science on long COVID, hear just how often it occurs, and learn what's being done to tackle it. We're going to start the conversation with the story of Angela Meriquez Vasquez. She caught COVID way back in March of 2020, right at the beginning, potentially in a grocery store in LA. Good morning, Angela. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it sounds like Initially, it was pretty mild bout of COVID, but it kind of rapidly over the weeks turned into some other beast. Kind of walk us through your journey with COVID over the last now year and a half. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you're right. It, it did start as initially a, a very mild uh, cold-like illness, um, but really uh, quickly progressed. I would say my acute phase lasted about three months, not the typical two weeks. Um, it, it started, you know, both my husband and I got sick and uh, he recovered in about two weeks. And and my illness slowly crescendoed, not over days, but really several weeks. And, you know, this is really not atypical for long COVID patients from what I've found. I wasn't able to get tested in the first few days of my illness. Um, and because this was because the tests were being rationed for hospitalized patients, as I'm sure, you know, most of the listeners are aware. Right. Um, about three. <laughs> right. I remember um, you know, that quite I, well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and three days into my symptoms, I had a telemed visit with my doctor, shared all of my symptoms, which of course are now um, all listed on the CDC's uh, site. I, I did not have a cough, which... Um, was one of the reasons they they shared for for not testing me. Uh, my doctor said, "Yep, it sounds like COVID. Uh, you're young. You'll be fine. I could probably get you a test, um, but it won't change the course of your care. You know, you're young. Stay home. Get some rest. You'll be fine." Um, and that really, you know, that stay home. You'll be fine. Um, not having a test that won't change the course of your care. That's that's not been the case for me at all. Um, I. 
at every point in my care, I've been asked by providers, nurses, benefits administrators, whether I tested positive um, with like no acknowledgement that testing for both infection and antibodies is, is really time sensitive and just rife with false negatives. And so what kind of symptoms when you say you had like your peak, your crescendo of symptoms for those three months, what did you experience during those three months and how are you doing now? Yeah. Um, so I experienced these increasingly set of scary symptoms like severe levels of blood clots, a series of, of mini strokes, seizures, painful heart palpitations, severe shortness of breath, extreme confusion. I couldn't follow a conversation, um, numbness in my face, hands, legs, and that progressed to an inability to walk for, for several days. Um, I've developed food allergies that I've never had before, and I even experienced my first anaphylactic reactions during my worst days last summer. So I now have to carry EpiPens with me at all times. And all of these symptoms, even the anaphylaxis and the blood clots and uh, stroke-like symptoms, were immediately dismissed as anxiety by cardiologists, neurologists, and emergency room doctors. And I, I have to believe that my identity as a Latina uh, and a young woman played no small role in that dismissal. And I imagine, you know, if I had been white, I may have been offered more investigative testing at the beginning of my illness and, and more supportive care up front um, that really could have mitigated the trajectory of my symptoms. And um, are you uh, back to normal now or how, how are you doing? I mean, that sounds honestly, that sounds pretty horrific. Uh, it, it was terrifying. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm nowhere near back to normal. Um, so I was a runner before I got sick. Um, and I, it's been over 18 months of long COVID and I, I'm not sure when I'll able, I'll be able to run again. Um, I now have several ongoing chronic conditions, um, including likely a, a mild form of uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis, also known as chronic fatigue syndrome. It's a neuroimmune condition whose hallmark symptom is post-exertional malaise, which basically means when I exert myself past this like somewhat nebulous, not always apparent threshold, um, I experience a, a huge resurgence of my worst symptoms. Um, so I get uh, my insomnia comes raging back. I get my brain fog and my confusion um, get really bad. I have sleep apnea, heart palpitations, and really severe migraines. So I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty disabled um, and debilitated by long COVID, even with um, sort of I would say symptom management uh, from from better care from doctors. What has helped? What has helped sort of alleviate those symptoms? Um, I really, the, the body politics support group saved my life, um, where we were the birthplace of the patient led research collaborative. So that's the first and, and only to my knowledge, patient led long COVID research group. They recently published the first peer reviewed, uh, patient authored study of long COVID, um, which really validated everything that patients on this 10,000 plus uh, support group had been experiencing all along, especially in those first few months when, when no one believed this was anything but a respiratory illness. Um, so just having sort of this, this huge global support group of folks who are very interested in data and figuring out what is going on with us has been 
tremendously helpful to just validate validate my experiences. And also through, through the support group, I've connected with other patients in the chronic illness space. Um, they connected me to doctors with a, a ton of experience in um, these infection-triggered chronic conditions. So there's like a lot of talk of long COVID patients having normal tests. And, and my specialists, uh, my new specialists have found that my lab work is very much not normal. Uh, they know what to look for, um, but there just aren't enough of doctors like them who are knowledgeable about these infection-triggered chronic illnesses um, to, to really meet the growing need of, uh, for their expertise. Um, and that's why I would say the, the biggest thing uh, overall that has helped has been the advocacy that uh, I'm leading with Body Politic. Um, we're leading this advocacy with in partnership with people with disabilities and chronic illnesses, including AIDS activists. Um, I, I recently presented to the, the president's COVID-19 equity task force and, um, and am leading this movement really to ensure that the government invests in, in the research, the, the clinical education, treatments, um, and support services for long COVID patients and other uh, you know, chronic illnesses and disabilities. Um, I would say my my advocacy is really my my mental health intervention. Uh, it it validates like what I have spent so long being medically gaslit about, and you know it, my symptoms are real. They're a direct result of this virus, and um, you know I feel like with enough political will, we can we can really meet this moment in a way we've not ever done for for people with chronic illnesses like mine. Well, Angela, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And I hope you I hope you feel better. Thanks so much for having me. We're talking about long COVID and what it is and how to treat it. We're going to bring Juliet Morgan into the conversation now. She's a neurologist and chief resident in psychiatry at UCSF. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me Angela's symptoms? Are those sort of par for the course or or is that kind of an extreme case? Where would you put her her level of symptoms in in the spectrum of long COVID? Absolutely. So, uh, so I ran along with Dr. Jobson, a palliative care physician at UCSF. Together, we ran a long COVID integrative medicine skills group for recovery. And so we've seen a lot of long COVID patients. And unfortunately, Angela's story is nothing, uh, nothing rare. I wish that we heard stories that were different from hers, but we had you know, many, many participants who have been suffering and suffering and felt invisible, unheard, and really invalidated. And what are you doing or how are you helping these patients? What does what an integrative medicine skills group do? Yeah, so we bring people together. You know, forums like Body Politic are fabulous, but we bring people together with knowledgeable physicians to think about how we're going to tackle long COVID together. So, from our standpoint, we looked at what interventions have worked in other chronic conditions where people have increased inflammation or an overactivated sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight nervous system. And we decided we wanted to emphasize on emphasize interventions like mindfulness. So we taught a lot of mindfulness practices, but we also thought about ways to bring down inflammation. So anti-inflammatory diets and breathing exercises 
And also thinking about the terrible toll that long COVID takes on mental health. So we brought in coping strategies and kind of the best of cognitive behavioral therapy. And the most important part of this recipe was bringing people with long COVID together into the same space so they could teach each other. So that one person could say, I feel dizzy all the time. And another would say, okay, I'm doing vestibular rehab and that's helping me. And then the next week, everyone had gotten a referral for vestibular rehab. So it was really you know, physicians helping patients who are helping patients who are helping physicians to treat them better. And so meditation and exercise, these kinds of things, is it really changing the sort of, you know, the outcomes for the patients that you're seeing? The, the participants who are getting better fastest are those who have a medical team that they feel really well supported by. And that is an expansive medical team. So a good primary care physician, a, you know, pulmonologist who's helping them with their breathing, a PT who's helping them with specialized exercise therapy, specifically for things like chronic fatigue syndrome, where, you know, more exercise isn't always better. But exercise is part of the treatment, thinking about nutrition. Um, so we have, uh, you know, a whole host of people taking care of people. Th those are the participants that really get better the fastest. We're talking about long COVID, what exactly this mysterious disease is and how to treat it with Dr. Juliette Morgan. She's a neurologist and chief resident in psychiatry at UCSF. We're going to bring in a couple more experts after the break here. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in for Mina Kim. We're talking about long COVID, what it is and how to treat it. We want to hear from you. What do you want to know about long COVID? Do you think you might have had it? Do you think you might still have it? Tell us about your experience. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or the old-fashioned way. Email your questions to forum at KQED. 
WBEZ.org. We're going to bring in two more guests. Uh, joining me for the rest of the hour is Upinder Singh. She's an infectious disease expert at Stanford. And Dr. Zachary Berger, he's a physician and bioethicist at John Hopkins Institution, Institute of Bioethics. Excuse me. Let, let me start with you, Dr. Singh. You're the primary investigator at Stanford as, as part of a billion-dollar National Institute of Health grant to study long COVID. Can you tell us exactly what you'll be focusing on? Yeah. Hi, good morning, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, good morning. So the um, proposal that you're talking about uh, came about uh, when uh, the government uh, gave the NIH a large sum of money. And so what Dr. Collins has done uh, in collaboration with multiple other institutes within NIH has developed a program called Recover. So researching COVID to enhance recovery. This is a multi-pronged approach to understand all aspects of long COVID. Uh, They're going to be looking at uh, individuals at all life stages. So children uh, to adults, including pregnant women. And the goal here is to identify the incidence and prevalence of long COVID. How often does it happen? In whom does it happen? Can we predict if you had initial mild disease versus severe disease, are you more likely to get it? So those are epidemiological and descriptive um, things that are really important for us to understand. And then of course, to answer um, the questions and you know to offer treatments, uh, the eventual goal is to understand the pathophysiology of lung COVID. What is it? What is it doing in the body? What, is, what are the um, biomarkers? And then hopefully, are there ways we can treat um, people with long COVID with various symptoms and eventually even can we prevent it? Well, I think that's kind of the magic question. Do we know, what do we know so far about how common is it? I know you said you're going to look into that, but do, do we have any sense right now? Yeah. So there have been a number of studies um, from all parts of the globe. I think right now, most individuals would say that uh, anywhere from 10 to 30% of uh, people seem to have symptoms that are consistent with long COVID. Now, in some studies, you'll see it'll say 1% or 2%. In other studies, it'll say 70%. And a lot of this comes down to the basic definition of long COVID. Is long COVID one symptom that you have for more than four weeks? Is it at least two symptoms that you have for more than three months? Some of this is, you know, um, uh, these sort of variations make it harder to compare between studies, but it's a significant number. So I think most individuals in this field would say, it's anywhere from 10 to 30%, which is a lot of people, right? If we consider the number of individuals around the world who've been uh, infected. As a psychiatrist, Dr. Morgan, I'm curious, in your experience so far, do you feel like COVID is predominantly manifesting as a physical or a mental health issue or both? You're asking, is it psychosomatic or somatopsychic? Um, and I think we just have to be very humble when um, when discussing mental health and long COVID, because at least from the patients I've taken care of, I just can't imagine that this is entirely generated by a psychiatric, um, by a primary psychiatric illness. And we know that there are these abnormal markers, at least when we are looking at research studies, um, that suggest that there's more going on beyond just um, psychiatric manifestations. But you know, the hardware and the software of the brain are very, very intimately entwined, and so it's hard for 
an ailing body, not to then generate, um, you know, an alien, an ailing emotional um, response. And so, you know, I haven't taken care of a long COVID patient who doesn't have anxiety and depression. Um, many people had anxiety and depression before they had long COVID and then it's only worsened. So, you know, Right now, I think we need to wait for more excellent research to come out to help us to answer some of those questions. Right. I mean, we've all been through a very stressful time as well. That can't that can't help a chronic illness either during the last year and a half. Let, let's go to Peggy in Sebastopol. Peggy, share our sto- share your story with us. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, I have had myocarditis as a result of having COVID. I've had it since May of 2020, and uh, uh, this is not anything to do with psychosomatic. I've never had any heart problems, Um, but uh, I started having pain in my chest and uh, shortness of breath. I didn't know what it was, uh, but and I thought it would go away. Finally, I went to see a cardiologist, and uh, what I discovered is that myocarditis is very hard to diagnose, but um, <clears throat> he, he, he thought I, I had that, and um, but he really was kind of clueless. He had no experience with long COVID at that point. That was, uh, yeah, May 2020, and... Uh, so I've been on my own path, and I've gotten somewhat better. Rest is is key, mm. and um, and those practices, you know, to relax, breathing, meditation, or concentration are good. But I'd like to know. Um, I, so that's kind of my story. But I'd like to know who uh, you know. Is there are there some doctors uh, that have experience with this? that could uh, help in, in, a, in, a, in a better diagnosis without invasive procedures or just some different medical support. I, I like the idea of a team, but I don't really have a team at this point. Thank you. Dr. Singh, do you want to touch on in, ter- in terms of how to diagnose and then and to get treatment? Yeah, I think uh, what our caller was, you know, referring to are the early days of long COVID when we are still in the very much in the um, stages of trying to identify, treat and and manage acute COVID. Now, a year and a half into the pandemic, we all have an understanding that there is a very real, very physical um, condition called long COVID. And I would really encourage individuals to talk to their primary care physicians And if their primary care physicians are not comfortable with, don't have the experience with long COVID, seek out a long COVID clinic. I know we have one at Stanford. I know there's one um, at UCSF. There are many, many clinics that are now developing uh, across the country where it's a multidisciplinary approach, uh, infectious disease physicians, general medicine physicians, neurologists, cardiologists, um, uh, rehab physicians, psychiatrists work together. Uh, One thing that we've heard this morning is from two individuals who had long COVID and their symptoms, although having some overlap are also quite distinct. So you do really need a multidisciplinary approach um, where you can have a central uh, provider who has some expertise in long COVID 
who can then call in a neurologist if you're having neurologic issues or call in a cardiologist if you're having cardiac issues. I think this is a very tough uh, disease to go through alone. I want to bring Dr. Berger into the conversation. Good morning, Dr. Berger. Good morning. Do we have any theories about what is causing this? I think there are plenty of theories, but um, and I, I really appreciate um, the approach that Dr. Singh and Dr. Morgan have bring to discussing things. What, uh, what One element I'd like to bring in, um, both through my reading and, and intellectual work and through the experience of my patients, is to understand long COVID as a multi-domain phenomenon. So it, it, it works on different levels. And I'm going to refer to a, a classic medical anthropological paper by Shepard Hughes and Locke from 1987, which talks about the three bodies. So there's the individual body of the person, like every person obviously undergoes a variety of symptoms and can be that can be really unique from person to person. Then there's the social body, right? It's the people, the collective, um, the collective is more than just the sum of individuals. Um, COVID has been a social phenomenon that has affected many groups and, and entities in our society. And then there's the body politic, the the, the ways in which organizations and government entities regulate and make and make um, gestures of control over individuals. So COVID and long COVID acts on multiple levels at once, which makes it so hard to define and treat. And also I think is really limiting to say that the way COVID, the way long COVID works is this virus enters a person and causes symptoms. Um, obviously, Sophisticated clinicians don't realize that's not the case, but a lot of our media and a lot of uh, our leaders speak as if that's the way long COVID works. I think it doesn't work that way because it operates, as I said, on multiple levels. Do you feel like the headlines have gotten a little ahead of the evidence? I mean, we have definitely, I think, as the media hyped this and created some fear. Is that legit? Um, I guess it depends what you mean by the headlines getting ahead of the evidence. I think... um, there, there has been a lot of attention paid to people with long COVID, and that's a good thing. Um, I think there have been attention. There's been attention paid to certain ways in which long COVID expresses itself, and certain um, domains on which long COVID operates more than other domains. And let me be clear what I, what I mean. Um, people have symptoms, and that's bad. And these symptoms need to be treated. But these symptoms, as I said, also come about because or exacerbated by social phenomena, which people tend to overlook or ignore or act like as some sort of political or social thing outside the realm of medicine, that's completely false. Um, so I think that leads us to a kind of um, centrism or, or, or um, concentration on um, medical biomedical solutions when there's a lot that needs to be done for patients, for people suffering from long COVID, that's not made in a lab or found in a, in a lab test. Well, let's go to Brad in Vallejo. It sounds like you currently have long COVID. Tell us, tell us what's going on for you, Brad. Hi. Um, well, first of all, it's called PACS, and I'm not sure if that's been mentioned yet or not, but it does have a name. I've had it for about a year, and uh, I am currently um, being considered for the Stanford study. But the one thing I know about it is everybody's symptoms are different. Uh, mine started out, I had like every symptom in the book. And then over time, it's whittled down to where I really just have, um, I'm, I'm out of breath. In fact, like right now, I'm out of breath. 
uh, just talking to you. And sometimes it'll get so bad that I just have to stop and sit down no matter what I'm doing. And I can tell it's going to happen because I get this incredible taste of aluminum foil. And then I know, oh, I'm going to have an attack right now. And the aluminum foil taste comes, and that's very typical of COVID, of losing your sense of taste or having it altered and your sense of smell. So the one thing I want to say is the doctors don't really know anything. Um, uh, Us patients are really doing a lot of the research on it. For example, I had liver levels that went 1,500 times above normal, and my doctor said, oh, that's not long COVID. And I started researching and found out these studies done in England, uh, post-mortem studies that found, in fact, COVID patients did have extreme liver damage. So it's just something that nobody really knows about. And I'm so thankful to you for having this show today. Thank you, Brad. I hope you feel better. Dr. Singh, is that true? Do we not know anything yet? How, how would you categorize the amount of knowledge we currently have about long COVID? I think we're at the beginning of a long pathway uh, and a long road. I think we know some things. Uh, we know that it's a real condition. People feel terrible and they have multiple symptoms. I think we know that everybody with long COVID or PASC can present differently. I think we know that people who had mild disease with COVID can get long COVID. So it's not limited just to people who had uh, severe illness in the ICU. Uh, And I think we know that some people get better slowly and others don't. What we don't know is a lot of the others, you know, why does it happen? Why do different symptoms happen in different individuals and what are ways to treat? So I think, again, at the beginning of a long journey uh, of discovery that we need to do. Well, Robert asks, I think, a really good question. Does having two Pfizer shots prevent long COVID? And does having a booster prevent or ameliorate long COVID? Do all long COVID patients recover? Or do many such symptoms continue forever? Or does anyone really know, Dr. Berger, in terms of vaccines? Can you answer those questions? Um, You know, it could be that Dr. Sager might be a little better answer than I can. But I do think there's some indication that um, vaccinated individuals um, uh, who have people who have who have COVID symptoms and are vaccinated have a lesser chance of developing long COVID. But I think a lot of the literature is difficult to interpret and it's early days yet. Yeah. Um, oh, can I, I was going to speak to the second part of the question, but please, I can, I can please. wait. No, 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 go ahead, Sorry. please, please, please. Uh, and, and then your question about when, you know, how long does long COVID last or, or will it go away? Um, you know, I'm going to be a broken record here, but I think um, it, it reminds me a lot of the question, when is the pandemic over? These are similar questions, right? Any given person, how long their long COVID symptoms will last is for me as a clinician at any rate, very difficult to to predict, right? Almost impossible to predict. And the same thing goes when we say, when is the pandemic going to be over, right? That's a social phenomenon. And it's so much not over for so many people in so many different ways. So I think we have to understand long COVID that way, where this is a decade of dealing with this, right? Or more, just like the, the flu of 1918, it didn't go away in 1920, right? Though the waves went away, but the consequences kept on. So this is part of long COVID. Dr. Singh, I just want to give you the opportunity. Do you have anything to say about vaccines before we move on? Yeah, I agree with Dr. Berger's comments. We know the vaccines are effective and safe, and we know that they decrease the symptoms that people get, if, even if they have breakthrough infections. So anybody who's vaccinated who gets a breakthrough infection is more likely to have milder symptoms and prevent hospitalization and death. Uh, we do think uh, that people who have breakthrough infections uh, 
may still be able to get long COVID, but the hope is that their symptoms are milder and that their resolution is faster, but we don't know yet. So again, I think these are some of the things uh, we'll have to study. There's other questions like if you've been treated, for example, with a monoclonal antibody for COVID or other treatments for COVID, are you less likely to get long COVID? And again, these are a lot of questions um, that we still need to answer. Dr. Berger, how do you balance the kind of push and, and in some ways kind of demand from patients to get answers faster as fast as possible, kind of immediately for so many who are suffering with the, you know, scientific method in terms of it takes a long time to vet these studies and to determine if the evidence is accurate. How do you balance that kind of demand right now? That's a great question. Um, And whenever I say it's a great question, it means I'm uh, I'm thinking out loud. Um, But I'll, I'll start with the last part of the question, right? I think Part of it is we don't have the right kind of studies. Dr. Singh's study is absolutely the right kind of study that we need more of right now. We also need a lot of studies about people's experiences, right? people's social pressures, how pressures constrain people's choice, right? People aren't, people aren't not getting vaccinated mostly, I think, because they're ideologically anti-vax because for many people, it's still difficult. So we have to look at the right kind of studies, the right kind of evidence. And then when a person needs answers, I try to get them answers. But it's a very difficult clinical question, for one, right? You don't want to over-test. You don't want to under-test. You want to get the tests that work and help a person. And that's a very complicated clinical question. But the second part of your question, which I think was unasked, which is, what about those people that don't have access to care, right? People want answers, and sometimes they don't even have a doctor to go to and can't even get testing. And that's where we need to work just as hard as in determining which tests to do. We're talking about long COVID, what it is and how to treat it with Dr. Juliette Morgan, a neurologist and chief resident in psychiatry at UCSF, with Dr. Upinder Singh, an infectious disease expert at Stanford University, and Dr. Zachary Berger, a physician and bioethicist at Johns Hopkins Institute of Bioethics. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg in for Mina Kim, and we're talking about long COVID, what it is and how to treat it with Dr. Juliet Morgan, a neurologist and chief resident in psychiatry at UCSF, with Dr. Upinder Singh, an infectious disease expert at Stanford University, and Dr. Zachary Berger, a physician and bioethicist at Johns Hopkins Institute of Bioethics. Let's go to the phones. I want to hear from Teresa in San Francisco. Go ahead, Teresa. Oh, looks like we might have lost Teresa's call. Uh, let's go to Rick in Albany. Hi, this is Rick. Hi, Rick. Go ahead. Tell us what's going on. Um, well, I'm, this is a little bit uh, different than what you're talking about, I guess. My daughter, my beautiful uh, 43-year-old daughter, Marin, is a healthcare worker, and we felt really lucky when she was able to get her Moderna shots back in February. And about three weeks after she had her second Moderna shot, all hell broke loose uh, with her. She started having um, heart palp- severe heart palpitations and insomnia and neuropathies and um, this thing she calls vibrations at the back of her neck and all down her her spine. And we at first thought maybe she was having a, I mean, it was all very, sudden and traumatic and the, uh, we rushed her to emergency thinking she was having uh, a gallbladder attack or a kidney kidney stone or something and uh, they sent her away saying they didn't find anything and then my wife started my wife and I kind of she had kids at home that she didn't want to keep awake so she came over to our house and we took turns keeping a vigil in bed with her every night uh, she didn't sleep at all. We hardly slept either. And we rushed her to the hospital a second time. And uh, she felt that the doctors thought she was uh, had psychosomatic symptoms from something. But it took a while. It took about two months before we finally talked to someone who really gave her some help. And through connections of mine and some people that I know, she was able to talk to a doctor at UC Med Center who had been a uh, COVID patient and long hauler herself. And she said, you know, Marin, I think that you had asymptomatic COVID when you got the Moderna shots, the second Moderna shot, at least. Uh, and uh, it kicked in an inflammatory reaction of some kind. And she's had all, I'd say, all of the same symptoms that some of the people have talked about, but different ones that people haven't talked about. <laughs> and it's Sounds been a long, it was horrible. Yeah. Uh, we horrible. just didn't know what it was for a couple of months. We th- and nobody could, nobody, nobody could identify it. Wow, Rick, thank you for sharing your story. I hope she is on the mend now. Have you heard of anything like this, Dr. Singh? Yes. Hi, uh, Rick. So I'm sorry that this happened uh, to your daughter. And I, I also uh, hope that she's on the path to recovery It's a complicated question because as Rick mentioned, did she have a mild or asymptomatic illness when she got the vaccine? Is she one of the rare individuals who's having sort of a reaction, an allergic reaction or some other reaction to the vaccine? Or is she one of these individuals um, of of which is described now um, who have these long COVID-like symptoms after vaccination? Um, I'd be interested to see what Dr. Morgan and Dr. Berger say. I think we just don't really know enough at this point. And I, uh, I, I, I hate to keep saying that, uh, that we don't know a lot of things about long COVID, but at this point, we actually, unfortunately, don't. 
Well, I think Krieg makes an interesting comment. My sisters and mother picked up a viral infection 20 years ago that turned into a long-haul infection. They still have major symptoms, quite similar to long COVID, and the medical community dismisses it as hypochondria. Do What do you think of that comment, Dr. Morgan? So I think that long COVID is bringing all of these other long haul illnesses out from the shadows, that long illnesses, illnesses that don't really fully recover, that they're really nothing new, but our our medical system has had difficulty with understanding how we treat this population and I am very hopeful that all of this research and all this thought being put into long COVID will help us to expand who we can help people who've identified with post-viral post-infectious syndromes for 20, 30 years who have felt really abandoned by our medical system. So, um, you know, for, for this, for this caller, if they're experiencing it, it's real and it needs to be really addressed by their medical team. Well, AJ writes, I had COVID in early 20, early 2020, and yet I found that unusual symptoms like cardiac issues and extreme listlessness have not been taken seriously. My insurance company says it will pay for COVID-related ex- expenses at 100%, and yet it paid for zero of that later. I don't see a great future for this. I can only imagine what folks are battling in terms of getting insurance to cover things. Let's hear from Teresa in San Francisco. Teresa, you're on the air. So back in early 2020, when it first hit, like around March, I had every symptom under the book that you could think of. I also have asthma. Um, So I went in to get tested. Of course, the test, they lacked the testing. Testing wasn't always accurate. Here we are today, and I do believe I have long-term COVID. However, will my employer or my doctor believe me? Would they think I'm just imagining things? Because sometimes I actually felt like they thought I was overreacting or it wasn't really happening. And how long does the antibody test detect COVID-19? Dr. Singh. And so the antibody tests um, tells you if you have immunoglobulins or a response to the virus or the vaccination. Now, the one thing to keep in mind is that the antibody levels change in people over time. We think the antibody levels uh, wane, so they decrease over time. And so it depends on if you had a severe illness versus a mild illness, you uh, may not have uh, detectable antibody levels at this point. After boosting or after vaccination, those levels um, should go back up. There are other tests though that can sort of look at T cells or B cells and whether they have seen the virus before. So there are some uh, deeper dive tests that can be done um, to determine if people had COVID in the past. Does it matter if someone tests positive for COVID? If they're experiencing all of these symptoms, does it matter if their antibody tests say they're negative. Dr. Berger. I mean, I think it depends what the question is, right? I want to, um, I mean, I want to compare just like Dr. Morgan did uh, long COVID to other chronic diseases, right? There's a sense in which there's a, there's an epidemiologic infectious disease answer, which is a very appropriate answer for certain questions, right? Um, you know, did, did a virus uh, cause certain symptoms in a certain way, right on a certain timeline in, in an individual person? Um, so for for in, in that you know, if you're if you're trying to say well maybe there's some virus reservoir and treating that will help the symptoms and I think that might be the case for some people mm-hmm. right so that's an appropriate question to ask but I think there's so many people with with chronic symptoms for which um, the infectious disease or the epidemiologic model is really not the only model we should be pursuing um, so 
so someone with fatigue who is made to go back to work, um, whether or not they have antibodies doesn't fully explain their situation or help them in that situation. It just might make their life a little easier in terms of getting insurance coverage, et cetera. hundred percent. That's a great point. hundred percent. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, I've been from the very beginning, I've been calling other people and saying we need uh, free care, free, free care at point of care for all COVID related things. And we, we've certainly we've fallen down on that. Let's go to Lorna in San Francisco. Lorna, you're on the air. Hi, thank you for doing this program. I just uh, I work with integrative medicine, and right now I'm working on putting together a meta-analysis uh, of the international community and what they have evidence-based found in regards to nutraceutical interventions. There is no harm in people just being healthier, and our natural immune system is not being taken seriously here. So I just wanted to throw a few little things into the basket for the people with long uh, haul COVID. I have had relatives that had that and have suggested protocol to them and they completely recovered and others. So they think to have to look at what your own immune system needs, things such as zinc, which we know is one of the key players for the loss of your smell and your sense of taste. We also know that vitamin D has been shown to be very low with COVID uh, persons and long-haul COVID, and they need to be checking these vitamin D levels, and they need to be at the level which the National Council on Vitamin D recommends at 50 to 70, not at 20. Uh, This COVID has a tendency to shred red blood cells, so the the lack of the oxygen being carried by the red blood cells is very, very much a part of this. And if you take a look at people being borderline anemic, then get those red blood cells ramped back up. They need the magnesium, the vitamin C, which is important for the connective tissue and the intercellular matrix. When we take a look at things like bromelain and quercetin, quercetin was used 20 years ago by doctor uh, in, uh, in Canada, Michel Chrétien, he whacked out Ebola with quercetin. That combination of quercetin and bromelain, which is being used in studies in Australia right now, and the vitamin C, these are all antiviral. They will not harm the body if they're used in the proper proportions. And so I'm just asking people, ask your doctors to do these tests. And there are simple measures that you could do to just make your own natural immune system more powerful. And the question on the table to me is, why is the United States leading the world in cases and in deaths for the last 20 months? And you take a look at countries that do not eat fast foods, junk foods on a regular basis, and our own systems depend on these nutrients to survive anything, not just COVID. So please, I ask people, look into these nutraceuticals. These are evidence-based. I have over 20 different studies that I have, and I'm looking into this daily. Well, Lorna, I want to turn, let's, let's get, let's turn to Dr. Singh and just what do you think of all of those nutraceuticals? You know, vitamin C, zinc, we've heard a lot about these. Uh, magnesium, vitamin D. Should folks kind of rev up and 
do, take these supplements to potentially improve their immune systems, Dr. Singh? So I'm all in favor to live a healthy life, uh, to take any supplements that you may need uh, to get enough sleep, to get enough rest, to exercise uh, in moderation. I, I think that those are all good principles of any illness, uh, long COVID or other. I, I would say, I think it's important to, you know, do these things or do the testing under the care of a provider so that, you know, uh, for example, that you're not taking too much of something, or you're not taking something that, that may be dangerous. For example, vitamin D levels are low in many individuals. Um, is that, uh, causing the long COVID symptoms? Probably not. Could it be exacerbating it in some people? Maybe. I think we just don't know. But I wouldn't stop anyone from taking uh, supplements that uh, they need. I would just caution people to make sure that they're not taking combinations or excessive amounts of anything that may cause issues. And again, I think the either their provider or a long COVID provider can provide the best individual guidance. We're talking about long COVID, what it is and how to treat it uh, with Dr. Juliet Morgan, Dr. Upinder Singh, and Dr. Zachary Berger. We want to hear what you think. Uh, have you had long COVID? Do you have any questions about it? Call us at 1-866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Let's go to Phyllis in Menlo Park. Go ahead, Phyllis. At last, for heaven's sake, I've been waiting. Um, nobody has mentioned um, <clears throat> treatment, what to do for it. I had the man that talked about his wife after the second shot. Um, I had started having all these reactions after my second vaccine. And I've been to the doctor, and I'm at the Palo Alto Clinic, and they supposedly have good doctors. None of them have ever de- figured out. Oh, and by the way, I tested. I've been tested twice. I test negative. I don't, uh, and you haven't mentioned any kind of treatment. What about Tylenol? Is that any good? AP codeine? Well, let's let's get to that. Let's get to some treatments. Thank you so much, uh, Phyllis. I appreciate that call. Uh, Dr. Berger, any treatments you want to throw at uh, or to help Phyllis? Well, yeah, I'm really sorry that Phyllis, that you're going through this. Um, I would say that I mean, as has been said before by my colleagues here and by other callers, it, it really the symptoms differ from from person to person. And one of the hardest things about long COVID, as, as with other chronic diseases, is there's often not one specific treatment that works well for everyone, or even works well for one person uh, from one time to another, because long COVID is a disease that develops in time differently from person to person. Uh, many times, it requires a multidisciplinary team of people. Um, I think I think relief of pain is really important. Um, uh, physical activity is really important. Treating specific things that go wrong. So there are specific treatments for myocarditis. There are specific treatments for pulmonary, that is, lung conditions that can that can be associated with long COVID. So unfortunately, I don't have one specific answer, not knowing the specifics of your case. But but there are treatments out there for specific things. Um, and and sometimes it's a it's an incremental, little by little approach to chronic symptoms. Dr. Morgan, is there anything you want to add to that? Um, I think Dr. Berger gave a lovely answer. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach and um, that it's about finding a provider 
a practitioner that you feel is hearing you um, and that you develop with that person a plan for each of the issues going on with you. If it's brain fog and problems with memory, do you need to see a neurologist? Do they need to do neurocognitive testing to just understand where your strengths and where your weaknesses and are there any safety issues that could come up at home relating to your memory? If it's fatigue, you know, making sure that your doctor is doing the right kind of workup to make sure that fatigue isn't actually masking something else. And then, you know, making sure that you get a good relationship going with a physical therapist who understands how to treat chronic fatigue. So for each issue coming up, you know, trying to build this medical team that starts with a primary practitioner that you really trust. Well, Garland writes that he has a dear friend who's dealing with long COVID and chronic fatigue syndrome. And Garland wants to tell her what could help maybe programs, treatments uh, for chronic fatigue and or long COVID that are specific there. Anything that you all want to throw out? Uh, let's start with Dr. Berger. Um, so, so actually, I have to say the same thing I said before, which is there's a lot of um, there's a considerable body of literature on chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, there are dueling trials, they have the multiple trials that uh, sometimes come to different conclusions. So I, I'm really reluctant to give a, a broad-based um, global answer for how to treat chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, there are different courses of treatment that I've used with different patients that have worked reasonably well. Um, as, so I, you know, it's, it, it sounds like a cop-out, and to a certain extent it is, but it's also based on a thorough reading of a conflicting body of evidence. And maybe my colleagues have different answers. Anything that you would like to add, Dr. Singh? Um, I agree with Dr. Berger. I think the one thing I would mention, which we haven't discussed today, is that we want to be careful that people who develop symptoms after having an episode of COVID, that we don't just sort of say, oh, it's long COVID. Part of uh, engaging with a primary care provider is to make sure there's no underlying issue that can happen. You know, we've been in a pandemic for 18 months. People during that time have developed hypothyroidism or um, other cardiac issues uh, that may be causing their symptoms. I think we want to be careful. Uh, we understand that they had COVID, but first make sure that there's no other treatable underlying kill, uh, condition that has developed, um, maybe related to, but maybe unrelated to COVID. Well, may we get the studies underway and get the evidence uh, fleshed out in the months to come so we have concrete answers. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate your time, Dr. Morgan, Dr. Singh, Dr. Berger. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. We'll be airing some of our best Forum episodes of the year for the next few days. And Mina Kim will be back next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. And thank you so much for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.